0: Welcome to Getting Cozy with Erin Hill. Now here's our mama. Hey y'all, welcome back to Getting Cozy with Erin Hill. I am so excited today to have someone very, very special on the podcast. Her name is Lenora Clare. And just a little bit about her, she was actually named one of LA Weekly's People of the Year, as well as the Erin Brockovich of Stalking by Vice. A complex media personality, activist, and advocate working to promote safety and respect for the vulnerable and victimized across her various projects and platforms. With diverse accomplishments ranging from her years as an entertainment journalist. On-camera TV personality, art curator, casting director, and TV producer, Lenora has dedicated her life to the creation of legislation to protect and empower victims and frequently appears on television podcasts and public speaking events to educate others. We are so, so grateful to have her here with us. Lenora, welcome to the show.
1: Hi! Thanks so much for having me. I love you even giving applause. That's just so sweet. Thank. Haven't done anything yet, and we're already getting applause. That's my kind of my kind of
0: experience. That's the kind of show you're on, Lenora. So you're gonna get it. you're gonna get cozy with me, and I can't wait to get to know you better and hear all the wonderful things you are doing out there. So much advocacy. It's just really inspiring. So. Thank you. Let's start out with why you're in this field to begin with. You have a very interesting personal case dealing with stalking. Would you mind kind of giving us a summary of of what happened to you?
1: I'll try to summarize as best I can, but it's really hard to do that with a decade. But so bear with me, I'm one of my jump over a place a little bit so I've been a reality casting director for a decade now but right before that I was an art curator so going back to you know this was like mid 2011 uh, I was as you mentioned named one of the LA weekly people of the year which is a great honor being from Los Angeles but for me what ended up happening was there was a man who's a diagnosed schizoaffective man and I just want to I want to start by saying that my father was a psychiatrist and I have great empathy for anybody who's struggling with their mental health and that I'm not stigmatizing anybody who has this particular issue it's just my stalker in particular is dangerous so I'm not saying that all schizoaffective or schizophrenic people are dangerous I'm not saying that just mine is Mm -hmm. so I just need to put that out there so what ended up happening is there was there's a man um who his birth name is Justin Masler but he legally had it changed to Cloud Star Chaser, who at that point was stalking Ivanka trump in new york remember this is 2011 trump's a very different and had been arrested multiple times and he jumped bail he came to los angeles he saw the la weekly opened it saw me became fixated he came to my art gallery um he was wearing a spacesuit, which you know when you have an art gallery you're used to all kinds of creative characters so i thought it was kind of a fun weird thing i engaged him in conversation and he said well you look like jessica rabbit i was like okay thanks i hear that sometimes and he mm-hmm. said and I'm, go- I'm gonna stalk you I mean he looked me right in the eye and told me that and Mm -hmm. I just thought okay what a creepy thing to say like get the hell out of my gallery and I kicked him out and then a couple days later a bunch of my friends started sending me articles saying oh my god that that guy that you had that weird situation with um, he was just picked up by bounty hunters by the Trumps to stand trial and so he ends up going to um, Rikers Island in New York for stalking Ivanka and while he was there he started sending me these just long insane ramblings to my gallery and at first it was just sort of you know disturbing but not any thing I couldn't handle. And then it very rapidly started to escalate to very intense rape and death threats. And then as soon as he got out of, of prison, um, it escalated to constant on like he would he would make entire websites about killing and raping me. And I went to police. And at that point, the, the LAPDs just told me they said, Well, why don't you dye your hair? So listeners probably they can't see what I look like. I have bright neon red hair. I'm sort of like <laughs> Jessica Rabbit. And um, they said, Why don't you dye your hair and get off the internet? And that was what they said to me. And so then, um, I'm not going to say his name because uh, he actually he's my my mentor, my wonderful, wonderful mentor who brought me into to a reality television. Um, my stalker sent a death threat to my boss, which really terrified everyone. Because when you work in a casting office, you know people can come in off the street. And plus, my stalker had tried to kill himself in one of Ivanka's stores. So everyone at my work had googled him and saw a history of workplace violence. And so, as you can imagine, everyone was very on edge. So um, that was a particularly terrible experience. So then I went to LAPD once again and they were not helpful. And so I ended up going to a friend of mine named Billy Jensen, who at the time was producing a show called crime watch daily. It's funny. People are true crime fans. Billy's amazing. Billy, um, Finished Michelle's book, I'll be gone in the dark. When when she passed away, and and appears and and co-produce the the great HBO series that just came out. So before Billy was doing all that, um, you know, he was my friend already for years. And so I told him what had happened, and he put me on a show called Crime Watch Daily, which he was producing, which teamed me up with this incredible woman, Rhonda Saunders. And Rhonda is really really an important figure in this world because, um, for the listeners who remember, 1989, there was a, a beautiful actress named Rebecca Shane for, who was murdered by her stalker mm-hmm. and um, just a horrible horrific story and people don't realize that there were no laws for stalking in this country at that point so um, Rhonda was very instrumental in creating the first laws not only in California but the entire country which got passed in 1992 to help you know prevent stalking and so I was on the show with Rhonda I met her and she's become this wonderful friend and just sort of yeah, I, I almost you know mentor in this world and I sort of just started discussing with her um, different ideas I had for legislation and things that could be done and just this beautiful sort of friendship transpired from there, um, which kind of got me, you know, really kicked up on this idea of advocacy and activism because, you know, I'm somebody who has, I'll just be honest, all the privilege in the world. And so I was thinking, wow, this is how what happens to me. What happens to, you know, more marginalized people when they go to get help? Like, this is disgusting. This this cannot mm-hmm. be. So um, once I started going public with my story, uh, Vice did an article on me where they called me the Aaron Brockovich of stalking because what ended up happening was I started becoming more of an activist. And I also learned how to, like, track my stalker through his IP and all kinds of stuff. And so then I started doing human shields for people in court because people don't realize that when people go for restraining orders, um, frequently, you know, the person can just intimidate them and it's a whole terrible experience. So I physically go and, and I'm a human shield in court. I help pull GPS trackers off cars, which is, you know, people didn't even realize that was a thing. Now you've got this bachelor case and yes, it very much is a thing. People are using technology to surveil people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started doing more advocacy and activism. And then my friend Polly Perrette, you may know she's an actress for many years on NCIS and a bunch of other shows. Um, she, we started, we started, Put this amazing group together um, They did a 48 hours uh, Episode, uh, two hours Series on all of us um, It was at that time that she connected Us with uh, the most amazing Man, um, Congressman Adam Schiff Who at that point was just, you know, our local LA congressman, he obviously Went on to be head of House Intelligence Committee Congressman Schiff, so we started working with him With our proposals and ideas, he actually took Some of my ideas to the Department of Justice And all. as all this is going on, you know, I'm helping Other people, I'm showing them how to get restraining orders orders and have how to navigate law enforcement, and the judicial system. But nobody's helping me and my stalker is out and it's just a constant thing. And my stalker would threaten me. I'm, I'm Jewish. She would threaten to gas me through my door with Zyklon B, which is what was used to kill my relatives in the Holocaust. Oh so, my right. So, right. So, imagine trying to sleep when any night you're afraid that you're going to get gas through your door. So, mm-hmm. that, was, that was pretty horrific. And again, police are doing absolutely nothing to help me. So, then we started to film the 48 hours episode. And as that was going on, um, 48 hours decided to interview my stalker which is kind of insane but you actually see him and i have what really hardly any stalking victim has which is um my stalker fully admitting to stalking me in oh. front of the 16 million people who watched that episode that night when it aired um and so my the footage from my stalker ended up going to a wonderful man who i'm not very close friends with a brilliant forensic psychologist named chris Mahondi. and Chris Mahandi is part of a duo with another man named Reed Malloy and together they did the largest study of stalkers in North America. They interviewed a thousand of them. So he's just incredible and such a a genius resource. But he reviewed the footage of my stalker and he said, oh, no, she's right. He's he's a menace. He's a problem. Um, And so at that point, Uh, the producers of 48 hours they helped get my stalker picked up in utah and my stalker then was placed in a mental institution so for the first time at this point i'm now maybe five or six years deep in this Hmm. Uh, it's now over 10 years um so for the first time i finally had you know a bit of a break from constant rape and death threats so that was wonderful um and then uh he's put into the psych ward and then i get a call so But Trump wins, which um, I don't know how your listeners feel about that, but that was not something for me. But so uh, Mm -hmm. Trump wins. And this is relevant because about a week later, I'm walking my dog and I get a call from LAPD and Secret Service. Which is very jarring, um, informing me that my stalker had broken out of the psych facility, and that it's now you know Secret Service issue because of the history with Ivanka, and you know states don't normally work together. So I always joke that I'm the one person who benefited from the Trump presidency because I've won the stalking lottery, and that I share a stalker with his daughter. So they tell me that he's out, and I'm thinking, oh my god, oh my god, this is this is terrible. He's going to know I put him in the psych ward. I cannot believe this. I'm in so much danger. But you know, at the time. Ivanka was far more exciting to him because now she's the president's daughter so he actually was caught a block away from Trump Tower and he goes back to jail and so I thought okay now he's really gonna get some time great 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 but New York has some of the worst stalking laws in the entire country I'll just be honest about it (laughs) um yeah like for example I think it was in 2014 the New York State Court said that if you get a death threat over electronic device you know that can be text or email um it's It's considered essentially free speech, and it's not a crime. Hmm. So I can send you a death threat in New York, and nothing happens to you. So he spent just a couple of weeks uh, in jail in New York, and so then he comes to L.A. very actively looking for me, which is terrifying. So he attempts to kidnap my dog from a dog groomer. He starts – by this point, I – my now husband, we're, we're dating. He starts, um, you know, sending harassing letters to his law firm. You know, it's getting really scary. He goes to the place where I get my eyelashes done, and he, he leaves all these crazy notes and scares all the women. I mean, it's just kind of getting worse and worse. Um, and then he started writing, my stalker started writing me about how he's stalking the Kardashians as well. And so at that point, I was connected with somebody who's, The Kardashian security team who I thought for sure was going to catch them, right? Because they have the best security ever. Mm -hmm. Um, But no, what ended up happening with my story, which is a unique twist, was that my stalker, remember, he's not mentally well. So most stalkers don't do this. And the other thing I want to point out is that out of the roughly 7.5 million Americans, that's the sort of most recent statistic, I'm the anomaly. You know, I'm in the 3%. The majority of these cases are very similar to The Bachelor story, you know, where it's a relationship gone wrong. That's the majority. Sometimes there's domestic violence overlap. I'm in the 3% or it's someone that you just didn't know at all. That's very rare. That's not typical. Anyway, so my stalker writes me and says, I know you go to L.A. Comic Con. I'm going to go there and I'm going to kidnap you. So, what my stalker didn't know is that I know the owners of LA Comic Con, and I was able to work with them, and they were wonderful, and they hired extra security as not to scare the children who dressed as Batman and Superman. And so, when my stalker came to kidnap me, they held him down, and they did that until LAPD could get there and arrest him. And so, when they arrested him, then the Kardashians were able to serve their restraining order, and then I pieced this together from news articles, then... Gwyneth Paltrow served her restraining order because there was some incident with him and her children. I don't know exactly what it is. I don't want to, but you can, you can see there's various articles about this. Then it took about a year before we had the trial and I was able to get my stalker on Felony Stalking Max. I did all my own discovery for the trial. I'm very proud of that. Everyone thinks my lawyer husband did it, but no, I did it. <laughs> and the uh, really unfortunate thing about it, which I was I was able to talk about to Dr. Oz about this back in December, was that even though I got my stalker on Felony Stalking Max, which is four years in California, he only had to serve two because we had a terrible proposition that passed a few years ago called Prop 57. And 57, you know, I see why it passed. You know, it was very misleading to people. And the way it was sold was that nonviolent offenders would get reduced sentencing. So any reasonable person hears that and you hear nonviolent offenders, well great. That's not What you don't understand because I don't explain this to you is that in California the following crimes are considered nonviolent. Rape of an unconscious person, for sodomy, human trafficking, hate crimes and stalking. Mm. Right, so, so are you telling me that rape of an unconscious person is nonviolent because they can't fight back? Like, I mean this is ridiculous, It's disgusting. So because of that, my stalker only had to serve the two years. He got out in December. Um, he very quickly reoffended. I had him put, I put him back in several times um this is not over for me this is really probably not over it's probably for the rest of my life oh my. yeah and so i'm currently working on some legislation with some incredible women and i just joined the board of a new nonprofit. i'd love for people if they're having any of these issues it's called vap v-a-p for victim advocacy project the website is vaphelp.com okay. and we're going to do a lot of things with that but one of the things that we do is most people don't understand that Almost every state in the US has victims compensation programs. So say you're sexually assaulted in your apartment. They'll help pay to relocate you. Mm-hmm. They can get you up to up to $5,000 of therapy And alarms and, you know, ring and stuff like that. So um, that's what we're going to be doing. Yeah, exactly. And police never tell you that these programs exist, but they do. And so we help people link them up with that. So I'm working on that right now. And then the other thing I'm working on was with a bunch of amazing people. We're working on a bill. And right now we think we're going to call it SAVE, which stands for Stalking Abuse Victims Empowerment. And there's a bunch of really cool things with SAVE. But the sort of easiest thing to explain is that we're trying to do a restraining order registry because, you know, we see there's... There's a sex offender registry that exists, right? And it does what it's intended to do. So we have precedent for that. But imagine if you were going to go on a Tinder date and you could actually look somebody up and Mm -hmm. see if they have restraining orders. Right. And then maybe you wouldn't. Right. So part of this, you know, preventative sort of stuff that we can do, because I, I go and I speak to schools about risk minimization and the stuff that we can do, but that's just an important tool for people to have.
0: Oh, my gosh. Lenora. I just... First of all, I want to say, I am so sorry you're having to live your life like this. No one deserves that. And I hope to God that it does end soon. I know you feel like it'll be your entire life, but that breaks my heart to hear. So let's hope that it's not. But what you are doing, I mean... It's just so admirable considering all the pain you're going through, you know, of dealing with this for so long and continually dealing with this. With the work that you're doing for people who are dealing with this, it's just, it's absolutely beautiful. And we are so thankful. I am so thankful. I have not been in a stalking situation before, but I've had friends that have. And I just thank you on behalf of them and everyone who is going through this. So thank you. Thank you so much. You're doing such great work and I'm so happy that we can use a platform to talk about it and uh, get the word out there as well um, as much as possible. So I have to ask you: How was living your life, or is living your life, having this always in the back of your mind, always sure. right on the like the back burner, or maybe even the front burner? At this point, I mean, I'm not sure how you feel about that.
1: So hypervigilance is pretty exhausting, you know. Yeah. The sort of everyone, everyone's experiencing it now with COVID, right? Like remember when COVID first started, we we're so freaked out and wiping everything down, mm-hmm. and you know, so it's it, it's imagine that times 100 is oh, sort of, and once God. I explain that to people, everyone's like, oh, God. So, you know, I- now I've lived my life as a hyper vigilant person for a decade now you know I'm proud of this you know like I was a face of an ad campaign for Vanity Fair and I would do like, I did nightclubs and I had mm-hmm. the art galleries and I don't do that anymore that's done those days are I can't do public events because I'm literally saying like come here and potentially kill me and all my pe- people that I care about oh um, so that, that has altered my life radically but on the same side I have this incredible platform working in television and media right mm-hmm. so I realize and I always say this and I always I have to tell the story so one time when you go to restraining order court you know your case will be at whatever assigned time but it always takes hours you're there way longer than you think you're going to be and so you're there and you hear all these other cases and one time when I was there renewing a restraining order um, I saw a woman and I will never get her out of my mind she had A black eye holding two babies. And I don't know if the guy was her ex boyfriend, husband, whatever he was to her, but he kept turning around and mad dogging her until she got so intimidated she ran out. And it was at that point that I said, Never, I'm never gonna let this happen again and I started doing the human shield, right? So I think about that woman all the time. I think about all the people who, you know, maybe they have children with the person or they're just not in a position because what being public with the story the reason why people don't understand stalking is it's very similar to where sexual assault was in the 70s you know it's like people really there wasn't a lot of like appropriate discussion and people had a lot of like really weird ideas about it and it just wasn't sort of part of the the conversation that it is now so that's what I'm trying to do with stalking and so I realized that I have to and I always say I have to be twice as loud to scream for everybody else who can't.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
1: you know, as far as how it feels emotionally is like I I had to go through a real roller coaster like the first 5 years I was just super depressed. I was this prior to it very social person with a you know colorful life and that was wonderful and it was completely stolen from me. And you know, the fact that he would write all of my bosses until I would lose my job, economic instability right there. People don't realize that when you're truly being stalked, like they try to insert themselves in every part of your life. Oh my god. You know, he would write people if I was dating them, I couldn't put on my social media, like so every part of my life was altered, right? However, I've personally now that I'm ten years in I flip to the other side where I'm not depressed anymore now I'm angry and I'm vigilant and I look out for other people so my journey has completely like I'm just a different person than I am now but it's okay because you know I'm able to do so much for so many people so it's not for nothing I just don't want anyone to have the experience that I've had so I I just try to make it better for them
0: yeah absolutely and um can I go back to the human shield because I don't know if everyone really understands that and I think it's really an awesome amazing concept so please explain that to us
1: yeah so when you go to get a protective order they don't separate people which is like very shocking if you've never had to go through this experience so i even i was in i was in our da's office and i was like when you go to olive garden you know they give you like a little thing and it says ding 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 and when your table's ready i'm like why don't we have something like that in court so what happens is you know a person will go and they're they're facing their abuser right potentially or stalker whatever this you know bad individual is to them and so potentially you know that person could follow them into the bathroom intimidate them so after that story that I told you about the woman with the black eyes who ran away, so what I do is I now I started doing it by myself, and then once I started posting about it on social media, um, I started having other people who join me now. Best situation is I started getting a bunch of women who were former victims themselves, mm-hmm. and it's kind of a great way for them to empower themselves to be with a whole bunch of other survivors, and we literally sit around – the individual like a human shield and so when the offender the abuser whatever when he when they potentially turn around or whatever we just look at him and go turn around asshole just turn around you know (laughs) and it's really empowering it's really great so you know anyone can do it I'd love it if more men got involved to do it but you know right now it's primarily women but yeah and so what I started to do is actually it's funny on my Facebook I had a picture of me wearing a wig because I started wearing a wig because my hair so like noticeable Mm -hmm. I didn't want to sort of attract the attention of these bad dudes, you know, so I started, like, wearing wigs every time, I don't know what I was thinking, I was like, maybe they won't know it's me, and so I just posted a picture that I was doing this on Facebook, and they were, like, there was... maybe maybe around a thousand people like commented and they started saying like i want to do it too and they started leaving their city so now i'm collecting it and starting a a database at a try and do it all over the country i've already linked up people in vegas where uh, a victim and somebody who wanted to be a shield vegas they on the on the thread it was so sweet you could see them connecting so um yeah i'm starting to do that
0: I love that. And if anyone's listening and does want to be a part of that, how can they yeah. get on that list or how can they get into yes. that?
1: Okay. So the nonprofit that I joined the board of uh, victims advocacy project, they can just write, uh, the website is VAP, V-A-P help H-E-L-P. Okay. Perfect. And you could just send them an email and you could just say, I want to be in Lenora's human shield program. I live in this city. Like here's my number. And then we can put you in the database.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much for mm-hmm. sharing that. That is a wonderful yeah. program that you started. Um, and it just it makes sense, you know, because when you're in that situation, you just want people in your corner. You just want to feel protected and supported. And like you said, yeah. it, it empowers those that have been through it. So I love that idea so so yeah. much. So Lenora, let's speak about the whole Colton and Cassie stalking situation that's going on currently. So many of sure. my followers have reached out to me asking for me to have a stance on it, and I just feel like it's better if we have this conversation, you know, via podcast, and we can kind of talk about it, and you educate us. You're familiar with the situation in general, correct?
1: Um, yes, but I am only, I just wanted to state, only through media. I don't have a relationship with right. either Cassie or Colton. Okay. I have not worked with LAPD on this. I'm assuming it's probably... Because it's LAPD and high profile, it's probably at the threat management unit where my case is. But I just want to clarify that I have not been brought in to like officially work on any of this. I'm purely speculating off of what is has in the media.
0: I think people just want to understand why this maybe happened or. Yeah.
1: Um, So when researching this case, you know, I, I'll admit it. I'm not, I don't watch The Bachelor. I work in reality TV. So, you know, it's like <laughs> you don't always want to watch reality TV when you come home at night, right? right. So I, I didn't. I was not familiar with them prior to this case happening. And as soon as it hit the headlines, my phone was blowing up with people asking <laughs> me about it. Upon you know researching it, I, I read everything about the, the wall jumping and all of that sort of behavior that was already feeling very red flaggy to me just mm. before any of this escalated, right? So, you know, it's this sort of tricky thing where there has this relationship and there's this dynamic and it almost seems as though maybe inappropriate behavior is being rewarded, right? Because it's like, oh, now you're this like exciting thing that happened on a show when if this was to happen in real life you'd be like these things are weird I don't really feel comfortable with this so what I do know which you know is again common knowledge is that the relationship was over he continued to persist and harass and make contact when he was asked not to the GPS tracking device incredibly disturbing to me that is surveillance that is against the law that is not acceptable you cannot do that to people sort of all this other stuff where it's involving her family going to the family's house these are serious behaviors that really are very upsetting this is stalking like I want to clarify for people that don't understand like there's this sort of yes there are some relationships where things end people act kind of inappropriately for a little bit and it blows over right like sure we've all maybe in our younger days said or done things that are a little bit embarrassing but when you start to get into surveillance with GPS trackers like that's next level that's that's not the same thing as maybe calling someone a mean name or doing something stupid. Like this is escalation, and that is that is definitely something that really needs to be acknowledged.
0: Right? Yeah, for sure. And it upsets me when people are saying, you know, oh, people do crazy things for love and all of this, and it's like you are enabling. You are right. Yes. You're allowing this behavior to you're like you're justifying it. Oh, because he's in love. Absolutely. No, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It you doesn't know, matter. Not at all. And that this is criminal behavior. So. I have heard that she got a restraining order continuation. Yes. Okay, so yeah. can you kind of explain, like, when you first sure. make a claim, kind of the process and what currently is yeah. happening in California? Yeah.
1: Okay, so I can tell you how it works in California. So in California, unless there's like a, a very terrible domestic violence situation where police are called, that could be an emergency protective order. That's different. What typically happens in California is first the victim will go to court and they file what's called a TRO, a temporary restraining order, which lasts for two weeks. And what that sort of is, is it's kind of like a warning shot, right? Like the offender will receive the TRO and it's basically saying like, hey... You've done something like, you know, and by the way, there's definitely specific criteria to, to earn it. You know, you have to do something that's proving something like of a credible threat, right? They've done something to merit it. It, it isn't just like we broke up. I don't like you anymore. It's right. not that easy to get, right? So, so you have to get a, a process server or the sheriff or the police or somebody to officially hand it over to the individual who knows they've been served, right? That's important to know that. And so they have two weeks and then there's a court date. And then typically in California – then there's the court date where both parties can appear, right? So the person has the right to defend themselves. And then typically from there on at that level, a judge can issue anywhere from between six months to three years. It's under their discretion. I have what's the longest in California, which is a 10-year criminal restraining order, which is, if you can believe this, like, it's like even if someone shot you, stabbed you, that's the longest it is. There's no such thing. They call it permanent, but it's not permanent. It's 10 years.
0: Wow. That's unbelievable. Yeah. It
1: means I have to come back at some point and renew this and see him again. Yeah. Oh God, you poor thing.
0: Yeah. So it's interesting because what I've seen in the media now is that it's extended till November sixth, I think. So I feel like that's not even six months. So does she get another temporary restraining order, or what would that be?
1: Um, it's possible due to COVID that they extended it because of court dates. So oh. I have to actually take a look at it because okay. the court system's really screwed up. So that's what I'm guessing is that it was probably hearing and to have the actual restraining order date. So they probably just extended her to I, I haven't looked at it, but that would make sense. Okay,
0: got it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it has been said that Colton actually... Admitted to all of those things that we are, you know, mm-hmm. saying about the um, tracking device and everything else, you know, the, the stalking behavior and yeah. the the harassing text messages. So when a um, stalker admits his behavior, is that a cry for help? Like what? To me, that's like I was surprised to hear that. You know that he that he was admitting it. So what he's taking ownership of that. So what does that mean in your I opinion? Mean, I-
1: Honestly, I I think it'd be appropriate for a forensic psychologist to to sort of assess that because Mm, there's a lot of reasons why people do that. I mean, you know, some people are so narcissistic as to believe that if they do that they might win the other person over and be like I'm sorry I messed up baby I won't do it again like oh, got it. some people some people do that you have to remember these are relationships so dynamics are really like there's even times where people get restraining orders against each other and then they get back together like these are these are mm-hmm. very complicated situations oh so someone admitting culpability doesn't necessarily mean that they're like I've learned the error of my ways or right. know, they, may do, they may also want a judge to go easy on them you know like there's a lot of reasons why an offender might do that so I can't speculate as to why he specifically did. Okay. You know, I, my dad was a psychiatrist, not me. So like, I don't want to, I don't <laughs> want to like, you know, make claims. I always be careful because of like, husband's a lawyer, dad was a psychiatrist. I'm not actually either. So I just, you know, always have to be careful <laughs> with that. But Completely you know, there's, there's a lot of reasons. Yeah, okay. there's a lot of reasons
0: why someone might do that. Oh, my gosh. Well, we'll have to see what how that all plays out. But is there anything else you want to add to your advocacy? What's going on currently in California? What you're doing currently? Before we move on to talking about your casting director career producing?
1: Yeah, I'll just I'll give everybody a little bit of good news since Yay. that's you know a nice thing. So you know everything that's going on politically in the news cycle, where we totally in California have missed the fact that Newsom on September 30th just signed a bunch of really cool new legislation, including coercive control, which most people are not familiar with what that is. And coercive control, um, my friend Laura Richards actually worked on it. She brought it to the UK and then brought it here with uh, Rubio, who then got Newsom to sign it. So. There's a whole sort of umbrella of crimes that you're like, I know this is wrong, but how do I prosecute it? So, for example, in England, they use coercive control. There was a, a man who forcibly married his daughters off uh, for religious purposes. They didn't want to get married. And like, you know, that's wrong. That's not right. You're coercing someone. And so that's they're able to try. It was under coercive control. So, you know, say, for example, a man forces a woman to take a loan out of a car for him that she doesn't want to do. Right. But he forces her because he's been beating her. And like, so anyway, we passed the course of control law, which is part of the domestic violence bill. So that's really exciting, and that's another protection for people who are experiencing domestic violence. That's, oh, that's positive.
0: That's great. Yeah. Uh, that makes me curious. The whole Britney Spears, that whole situation that's going on currently, it, does that have mm-hmm. anything to do with the course of control? Is that going to be uh, oh, that's a That's an role? interesting
1: question. That's <laughs> an interesting question. I mean, typically, you know, it, that is certainly, you know, conservatorships are delicate, and there's a whole other stuff, but, you know, that, that may be something for... You know, it's it's sort of a weird thing because I'm, I'm friends with, uh, with someone who is in, involved with all of that. So I have to be very careful oh, with gotcha. what I'm saying. But, yeah, it's, you know, it's definitely coercing someone is, you know, it's a mind crime, if that makes sense. Like yeah. there's physical harm that we can do to people and then there's mental and emotional. So coercion kind of falls under that. So it can mean a lot of things. And at least it gives DAs and prosecutors something to work with. So it's kind of a, an interesting sort of area that we're going to see what happens with it. We're going to see how it works here in California.
0: Yeah. So fascinating. All of it. Very, very interesting. And again, thank you so much for everything you are doing, Lenora. And um, please, yeah. everyone reach out to her and the VAP help dot, dot com. Yeah. VAP mm-hmm help.com to help in any of these situations um that are currently going on so thank you thank you and so now I want to transition into talking to you about how you got into casting and producing (laughs) so interesting love to hear about that if you can kind of give us a little overview on that
1: yeah it's a really funny story so going all the way back to when I was LA Weekly People of the Year so it brought my stalker but it also brought my My mentor, Duran O'Fear, who cast Jersey Shore and a million different shows. So Duran saw that LA Weekly article and I got a tweet from him that said, I want to make you famous. And I was like, (laughs) ew, ew, who's this guy hitting on me? And then I saw that he was a casting director who who cast Jersey Shore and I saw that he was gay. And I was like, wonderful, this is so great. Okay, he's not hitting on me. This is so cool. And so he called me into his office and he said, you know, I think you're so interesting. You were in a circus. You're friends with the monkey you were a journalist like you're weird I like you we should have you go out for this MTV show so they submitted me for it and everything was looking really good and then he comes back and he's like oh girl I'm sorry you're too old you're 30 You're too old. And so I was like so I was like, Okay, you know, and then he was just like, You you're really interesting and you know, because you're a journalist for so long, what do you think about casting? Because you know, you're sort of doing interviews and finding people just like a you know, a journalist would, and it might be a great career path for you. And I was like, Okay, sure. So that's how I got into casting is sort of a really because Duran is so wonderful, even his office, all of casting producers he's found it's like he cast his office you know everybody's such a wonderful archetype of you know like your southern belle is like the most southern belle you know it's like everybody's (laughs) so like it's it's really cool and so that's how I got into casting and I've done so I actually just did a show with Duran I just did a a show for Quibi with him so it was great to work with him again and then the way I got into producing was I I worked for years on a show called MTV True Life and MTV True Life people yeah most people remember it Mm -hmm. um so what up happening with that show was I started off as casting producer and because I was casting a lot of you know younger people and getting really involved with their story they decided to just make me a producer on the show because it's really it's difficult in casting because you know you find these incredible people you get their stories they trust you they like you and then you just hand them off to production and you're like hope it works out kid you know it's kind of a weird thing (laughs) it was really great to be able to follow their stories their journey and you know find them and cast them and then go and produce the actual episode so that was a very cool opportunity.
0: So I'm uh, curious, what show was it that you just missed being casted on?
1: Oh, you know, it was a it was an MTV pilot for a show called Connected, which actually didn't end up getting made. Oh, gotcha. Um, it was it was like the number one reality show in Israel at the time, and oh, they wow. tried to do it, and it just I I just did. I think it's because they didn't cast me. That's probably why it didn't work out.
0: Gotcha. <laughs> I, I would yeah. agree with that for sure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you said you're casting a show or producing a show for Quibi. Quibi. Um,
1: is, I was casting is it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I really like the idea of Quibi because all these shows are like ten minutes long, right? It's like the episodes mm-hmm. are super, mm-hmm. super short, so you can watch as many or as little right. as you want. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, mm-hmm. What is the name of that one? Or it has not been yeah. released. still. So I've
1: just been casting. It's. It's. Yeah. It's called Sexology. It's actually the oh, the number yes. one non bit. Yeah, it's Shan's show, and she's amazing, and I, I love doing, I also cast uh, Sex Life on Epic, so I, I do all the sex shows, they're fun. Oh, um, very and so, cool. so, yeah, it's just a really, it's just a great show, it's a talk show, and it's super, you know, sex positive and awesome, and it's just really fun to find guests for it, I just, it's been a great experience.
0: So, when you're looking for a cast, because I think everybody always wonders, like, mm-hmm. how do these people get casted? Do you do yeah. the whole DM slide? Do you just go on Instagram see who? Oh yeah, oh, all yeah, that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah,
1: I mean, to be honest, so I I always look for authenticity. Like if you're trying to be famous, I don't want you. Right. Like that you're just not. I just don't want you. You know, I want the person who's just authentically living their life. You know, doing whatever they're doing. So mm-hmm. then, if I get a, a certain show and they want an archetype, like I want that person that's just so pure. You know, that's just like existing in their universe. They're just yep. you know whatever whatever they are. You know, that's what the best shows are. You know, it's like if you're if I, don't, I didn't work on dance wellness, but like that world, you know, it's like these people were genuinely doing all of that. And then right. they found them. And that's why they're stars, because they're not trying to be something. They're just so authentically that.
0: It's so funny you said that, because I I don't know if you watched Listen to Your Heart, the Bachelor spinoff. I would assume not if you're not watching The Bachelor. But, no, I don't, um, I don't know
1: any Bachelor. So yeah, I don't know.
0: So it was amazing because that whole show was just these incredible musicians that were just real people being real. And it's funny because uh, the ratings weren't great. And I think it was just because people were so used to The Bachelor and how, you know, everyone's kind of got ulterior motives and things like that. But listen to your heart was such a breath of fresh air because these people were just being themselves, completely authentic. And we all fell in love with them. And I love that I was able to interview them because I felt like they needed more of a platform and more of a like, hey, uh-huh. look, you know, look who these guys are. So I totally get you wanting like that pure, you know, oh, that yeah. yeah, I get that. And that's exactly exactly it's what beautiful. that show it is it absolutely is and that's exactly what that show was so if you ever wanted to binge watch something that would be a good one because I feel like you, oh cool you'd see yeah. all of that
1: <laughs> one of the things that's so different so I've been casting for decades now is you know a decade ago you would interview like say you were doing true life or something right and you'd like get on skype and like you'd get person wherever you know they're living in New Orleans or whatever and like they'd be so New Orleans and it was so amazing and it's weird now because everybody's so you know media savvy and they've been you know everyone's like a blogger and they come out with this professional lighting and it like really takes away the charm like (laughs) like if people really want to get on a show don't do all that like it's don't be corny, you know, like just mm-hmm. be who you are. There's beauty in that. Like people always try to force themselves to be this sort of thing that they think is like the ideal. But that's like a fleeting passing thing. That's not what makes you a star. Like, okay, so for example, my wonderful mentor, Duran, who found Snooki. Right, oh, wow. Snooky was so authentically Snooky. Snooky was just Snooky. Like we loved her <laughs> because she was there was nothing else we'd ever seen like that. Right, like mm-hmm. she was just doing her, and like that was beautiful, and that obviously worked out really well for her. So I'm, I'm not saying that everybody has to be Snooky. I just mean that you know just exist in your own way, and like if it's appropriate for the project, like that's what's going to nail it. Is like just be you. Just don't because when people are so forced and they say what you think that they want to say, yeah. it's just so like it's just. There's just nothing, nothing charming about that. It's just, it's dime a dozen, so.
0: Right. It's just fake. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's what I try to do with my IG live show is bringing the real back to reality TV. You know, we want to see the real. We want to see who you really are. not who you were edited and produced to be on this show mm-hmm. and that's the other thing that real quick I want to touch on so as a producer it's hard for us because sometimes as, you know reality tv watchers or viewers when we see a show and we know that it's been edited or certain characters have been edited what is can you talk to that because I think that producers get a bad rap in that but is there kind of some yeah. truth in that too a little
1: bit Okay, so uh, so shows can vary so much. Like, it's just about – some shows are overproduced and some aren't, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like you can't even compare because they're really apples and oranges. Like, all shows have what they call story producers. And story producers, it's like they kind of have, like, you know – they have like a loose idea of what's going to happen, you know, and then they sort of let the the characters unfold in a natural way, but you're trying to get from point A to point B, right? Then there's other shows that like literally poke at the people, you know, well, like they'll go in the other room and be like, well, Sandra thinks you're a jerk, you know, like they'll do that. Like some shows do and some shows don't. So I can't like, if there was one specific show that I worked on, I could sort of tell you about it. But, um, you know, as far as I will say this, they don't, it's not like a deep fake, you know? Like, they're not cutting it in like one word at a time, completely taking something that you didn't say and like just completely rearranging it. Like, that doesn't exist. But, you know, if you act like a jerk, you're going to look like a jerk. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they right. kind of want the juiciest and the spiciest moments. So, I've heard rumors that there was a particular show, which I won't say because it was my friend who worked on it, where they would crank the heat up to like 110 degrees. <gasps> And so it would kind of make people really irritable, right? On that same show, which was a competition show, they wouldn't let the contestants ever get more than six hours of sleep a night. Mm. So imagine if you're, right, so you're you're not sleeping, you're hot, and then they keep alcohol in that house. Like, oh, my God. So there's things like that. I don't really work on those kinds of shows because I, I tend to do different shows. But there are some shows that producers do have a hand in, in making sure that things happen, yeah. That wow. does happen sometimes, sometimes
0: yes. on some shows. That's like the perfect storm, I feel. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, of course.
0: Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And then, the like, the frank and biting, you know, that we've heard from, like, shows like The Bachelor and other shows, Housewives shows. So that, to me, taking one word here and one word there, you know, and stringing yeah. them together, I think it's just something that happens. Hopefully it doesn't happen as often as – we think it does, but you know, you never know. Like you said, if you're gonna act a certain way, you're gonna be portrayed that way. I think people yeah. do get bad edits on shows and they're good people oh, yeah, that can Right, yeah. exactly. Right,
1: people did that moment, you know. It's like it may be right. kind of shown out of context. Or or exactly, or you, you may have been deprived, and you're hot, and you're kinky, and under normal circumstance, you're a really delightful person, and today (laughs) you're just not. Like, that's that's true, right? But, you know, again, I, I always just sort of explain to people when they're going out for these shows, like, You know, you are responsible for your behavior that Mm -hmm. you, you know, in in these environments. And I will tell you, we definitely psychologically pair people up where you're like, oh, I know person A is going to mess with person B. Like, yes, we do that sometimes. Okay.
0: Mm -hmm. It's good to know. It's good to know that the behind the scenes stuff, because, you know, you're, Oh yeah, you you hear the rumors and you hear all these things swirling and you just never know it's truth. So to talk to somebody who's in the midst of it. So if you weren't in that career, what do you think you'd be doing? (sighs)
1: <sighs> well, I was a journalist back when print media was an option and I really loved it. <laughs> right. I mean, that was a great time. And I, you know, if I didn't have a stalker, I would, and art, you know, was, was right now such a weird time with COVID. I, I really love doing art. Um, I potentially, if life had been different, I, I maybe would have been a, a doctor like my father, maybe. I just, mm-hmm. I wasn't so great at the math. Um, <laughs> uh, and now, and now being with, actually, you know, if I could have started, I could start completely started over um I probably I you know it's so funny I'm too old you can't join the FBI if you're over 35 but I would have definitely loved to gone into the behavioral science division of the FBI and been a profiler I think I would have been really good at that oh my god Uh, I'm too old
0: I'm I'm with you there so uh yeah I I feel your pain on that one well it sounds like what you're doing is perfect for you and you're just doing such amazing amazing things and so we want to make sure that we are supporting you in any way that we can
1: sure um if people want to go to my website which is lenoraclare.com or my instagram which is at lenoreclair i kind of keep constant update earlier this summer i raised uh, ten thousand dollars to test untested rape kits so maybe i'll do that again that's Perfect. that was really awesome to do mm-hmm. um i'm about to release a shirt and the shirt will have the proceeds going to the Victim Advocacy Project. So, you know, I'm always doing stuff. Always, I want to tell people that they can always reach me through my social media or my website if they have questions about navigating law enforcement, judicial system, restraining orders, risk minimization. It's just a very confusing world, and if people have questions, I'm I'm always available.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining me, Lenora, virtually. I really appreciate it, and if I'm in the LA area, I would love to grab a drink or just to give you a hug. Of course, when COVID is over um <laughs> if it ever <laughs> yeah. is right but i wish you all the best and everything you're going through right now i thank send you. you light and love and i'm so happy you're with a wonderful man and i just I that's great yeah that's that's such a, a blessing but you're such a gift to all of us so thank you for your time thank you guys so much for listening please join for the next episode and till then stay cozy bye